Hi, this is Five Compelling Questions with Sean, a weekly podcast with authors um, discussing the author life, what it's like to be a writer, different aspects of writing, um, and then one fun question at the end, and then a quick fire round of five questions. And this is our very first podcast. And our very first guest is someone that I've known for several years now and have enjoyed his writing. And um, I get to be his editor, which is really lovely, and his publisher. Um, welcome, Peter W.J. Hayes. Thank you. Good to see you, Sean. Good to see you, too. <laughs> so I'm just going to do a brief introduction to Peter. Peter was born in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England, and lived in Paris and Taipei before settling in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, one of our favorite cities right now. Yep. He worked as a journalist, advertising copywriter, and marketing executive, including six years as chief marketing officer for a multinational corporation before turning to mystery and crime writing. He is the author of the Vic Lenowski Police Procedural Series and is a Derringer nominated author of short stories. Yay. He is also a past nominee for the Crime Writers Association CWA Debut Dagger Award. Welcome to Five Compelling Questions, Peter. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. How are you doing today? Good. Given all, the, uh, given all the excitement with the election and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of crazy and you sort of were at the center of it. Yep. Oh, and by the way, that doesn't count as a question. That was just like, that's just, you know, oh, okay. that's just being cordial. And, you know, I am um, a very cordial host. I am Sean Riley Simmons. I am um, the author of the Red Carpet Catering Mysteries a culinary mystery series, as well as um, over a dozen short stories and a lot of different anthologies. I'm a recent um, Anthony Award winner and Agatha Award winner this year, which all sort of happened in a vacuum because it is 2020 and who knows what is happening at, at the time that we're talking. But hopefully you'll be listening to this in a couple of years, we'll be out back in the, in the public eye. So we're gonna get started with some fun questions for Peter and learn a little bit more about what it's like to be a writer, an author, a mystery writer, and living in Pittsburgh and you. Okay, so my first question for you is, how did your writing career get started? Um, I think probably the answer to that is which one? Um, <laughs> I, you go I, with I, your favorite one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing is they lead one to the other. So um, uh, in eighth grade, I had a, a, a teacher, Charlie Hertrick, who about halfway through the year instituted um, a weekly writing contest. And for some reason in the middle of that, and I loved the contest. And for some reason in the middle of that, I decided, I sort of told myself I'd write a novel one day and I'd be a novelist, but I, it, um, you know, you're in eighth grade and you're not really thinking about it. Mm. Um, I should point out, I never actually won the contest. I was, I was defeated every week by uh, Lynn Donnelly. <laughs> um, not that it's bothered me all these years. <laughs> But um, uh, so so that was really when I started and when I sort of was attracted to writing and I wrote some poetry and put them in the high school literary magazine and those kinds of things. But uh, when I was out of college, I started uh, I, when I was living in Taipei, I actually started writing fiction. And that was when I, uh, I wrote a novel when I was there, a number of short stories, and I was doing a lot of reading at the same time. And um, when I came back, I uh, was trying to find a job and I managed to find a job at a market research company and I was hired specifically to um, write white papers, annotate market research reports. I was hired as a business writer. And at the time I was also doing freelance work for two local newspapers. So um, uh, that was, and that was sort of how I, I started. So I spent five years doing that. And during the course of that, I took some fiction writing courses at uh, 
University of Pittsburgh, which in those days was still a city college. If you had a college degree, you could go in and pay a few bucks and they, you could sit, on, sit in on the underground, uh, underground the, um, uh, the undergraduate courses. So I did that. And at the end of uh, the first course I took on short stories, the professor asked me to join a writing club that he, a writing group that he had. And I was a member of that club for uh, probably 15 years. We met every week and talked about, talked about short stories and wrote short stories. Um, so that, while that was going on in terms of fiction writing, uh, I sort of gave up on business writing and I managed to end up in a job where I was writing advertising copy and um, PR work and those types of things. And I worked, it was a marketing communications department within an apartment and I spent within a, a company and I spent probably the next uh, seven or eight years writing direct mail copy, advertising copy, PR copy, those kinds of things. Um, and that was what got me to um, uh, the multinational I ended up working with. And I was writing a lot less during that stretch, but toward the end of my career there, I was um, spending a lot of time traveling and I convinced myself, and I, I'll just say this is false, but I convinced myself that um, if I wrote, a, it, when I was in a hotel room traveling, if at the end of the day I wrote one page, at the end of a year, I'd have a book. Uh, it turns out it doesn't work that way. You can't, I couldn't keep the continuity of the characters and, and the plot line going. So it doesn't, it didn't really work, but it was training and it kept your hand in, which I think was the main point. And so when I, uh, when I left that company, which is about, uh, about seven years ago now, I started writing, I started writing full time. And I wrote actually a couple of different manuscripts and a number of short stories. And uh, that's what led me to finally have a manuscript that uh, Level Best was willing to work with. And I've sort of kept going from there. So I've written probably 13 or 14 published short stories at this point and uh, three novels, and I'm just finishing up a fourth novel. So it's been sort of a multiple <laughs> right. careers in different areas of writing. Right, but it seems like uh, writing was always at the, the root of everything that you were doing and to get to the goal of being a, a creative no novelist at the end. Right, it, it was. The goal was and to be, but you kept writing as, as for your career and different things to keep yeah, your hand in. The thing I realized in eighth grade is I just like to write mm -hmm. and it just became a matter of how do I do it now? And, and um, in a lot of cases, how do I make money doing it? Mm -hmm. And that, which is what pushed it. And even in college, I was a history major and I ended up in history because you wrote papers, mm -hmm. right? You didn't, so that it was just, I sort of naturally gravitated to that so yeah. that was um that was how that came about so that was always the that was always the common denominator through all of that very cool okay next question when did you first realize that words, words have power that something you wrote had an impact on um, someone or a situation um the first time i realized words probably had power was um i was i would guess probably um six seven eight years old about that age and uh, I grew up in a, obviously my parents were in, when I was born in Newcastle and my parents were English. And my father was a, um, a Royal Air Force veteran and my mother was actually in London during the Blitz. Okay. So, um, uh, and they had a couple of uh, records of Churchill's speeches and I used to listen to those. And, I, I, and that was when I started to realize that, and my father also was very interested in politics as well. And I, started to, and I started to realize, I just liked the rhythms of, um, of his speeches. And that was when I started to realize that the, you know, there was more to just sort of going out and buying candy, you know, <laughs> to use language. There was something you could actually do there. And I can remember also uh, my father watching the uh, speech, Kennedy's speeches on yeah. television in France because they, were, they actually ran a lot of them, um, inauguration speech and things like that. And I can remember watching those. And, um, 
and I just got this sense that um, you could get galvanized by using language that way. And that was, so that was, I think probably the first sense of there's more to language than just simply, um, uh, you know, what we talk about or having a conversation, those kinds of things. It can actually be marshaled to do things. And then um, a few years after that, we were um, on vacation in the Lake District in England. And uh, we were in a small inn staying and I was bored. So I, they had a bunch of books on a shelf. So I started looking at the books and I came across Wordsworth's poetry. And of course, Wordsworth, obviously he was a big, he lived in the Lake District. He wrote a lot of poets about it. And that sort of led me to read a lot of poetry. And I, and I think that helped me understand that thoughts and feelings can be expressed using language as well. So I think those were the two things that sort of set me off. And then I bumped into Charlie Hertrick. He said, let's make it a contest. And off we went, off I went. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was, so I think that was sort of the, the beginning of it. And I still read a fair amount of poetry today. Really? Um, yeah. I, I think as writers, um, poets really, uh, I think if you're a writer, you really should be reading poetry. This is just my own opinion. Uh, you know, one of the things that always struck me was that um, poets are test pilots. If you're a writer, they're test pilots. They're gonna take a form and push it as far as they can. They're going to, they're going to fly the deepest into what emotions are, you know, what people's thoughts and how that plays out um, on the page. So I always think you know, it's, it's really useful to read poetry even as a writer today. So, um, uh, so I still do it. So. That is great. That's great advice. And I think I feel the same way. My mother was an English teacher. Um, on the high school level so you know we were never allowed to be bored in our house she would just hand us a book and one of the books she handed me was was Wordsworth one weekend <laughs> read this you know so it's sort of like and it, she's like poetry is great because it's you don't have to it's not a book it's, you can read a poem and then go off and do something else and right. think about it and revisit it so it, it's very um you should have been an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can still remember that word. You know, I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on higher of vale and hill. And all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, what? somehow the rhythm of it sticks with me as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, very melodic. And you're a short story writer as well. Um, and you know about the economy of words. And yeah. people that write novels sometimes say, oh, I can never write a short story because it's just so much, you know, it's so much harder. I'm like, well, try writing a poem. <laughs> you know, like that's <laughs> every word has to be, you know, the right. agonized over to the point of, you know, yeah. and just actually, push. it's interesting. The thing that helped me with short stories in that, res in that regard was writing advertising copy mm -hmm. because it's the same thing. I mean, I, and, you know, I, I, I learned pretty early that nobody wants to read advertising copy. Mm -hmm. So you cannot have a word. If, if, you, if you get a word, just wrong people are they're out they're not going to read it so you oh. have to uh, you have to come up with something so exactly i used to write radio commercials and ad copy um and there's only so many ways you can make you know a tire store sound like really fun and you know i can't wait to get to that tire store this weekend so you know, it's have to like be really creative and yeah i still get that you know pretty bland message across every every time and the big yeah, sale you know so yeah because i'm i feel you we're, we're very similar in our in our backgrounds so next question for you how do you develop the voices of your characters? Um, do you keep a Bible or do you use some other method to bring them to life and really sort of make them not be such, you know, a cardboard cutout? Do, how, do you, how do you bring life to um, these people that, these fictional people that we have grown to know and love in your books? Yeah, I think, well, it, I'm still fairly, um, I'm still getting started as a writer. I mean, obviously three novels, but um, it, I'm still, I still feel like I'm getting started, but there's two, there's two rules I sort of made for myself over the last uh, four or five years. And one is that the, um, it's helpful with a character that they, 
So if you take Vic Lenoski, who's the character of, of uh, the, the, uh, the, the Pittsburgh trilogy, which is the first three books I wrote, um, uh, Vic in the first book, he didn't want to investigate his daughter's disappearance um, because he just didn't, as a police officer, he knew what he was likely to find, but he forced himself to do it anyway. So there was an inherent contradiction. He was sort of fighting with himself as he went. And in the, in the Private Eye no novel that I've written, the, the, there was an inherent contradiction within the main character there as well. Um, the character's name is Levon Grace. And um, he's discovered over the years that the, the thing that he's best at and which he feels compelled to do is the thing he likes least about himself. So there's an inherent contradiction in that as, as uh, it goes. And I think that really helps animate a character because there's a, it, it sort of creates an internal conflict with them right away. So, and I think that's, so I think that's very helpful. So that's one thing. The other thing I've tried to do is to make sure that the characters don't stay static. I mean, characters over the course of a novel and even a short story change and um, they reevaluate their position. They have to um, address challenges, do those kinds of things. And, and the thing about addressing challenges is it, it has to change them in some way. So the, the question then becomes, okay, so after they get through this set of challenges, how are they different as a person? Has their moral structure changed? Has the way they look at the world changed in some way, that type of thing. And I think um, readers, uh, you know, they wanna go on a journey with you when they read a book or a story. And if they can see a character um, changing as time goes on um, or coming to a realization about themselves or the world around them, I think, I think, I just think it helps. So, um, so those are sort of the two things I try to look for and, and do. I don't really keep a Bible. Um, Unfortunately, I, I make the mistakes sometimes. I forget things. I haven't been as bad as forgetting eye color or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I usually, I'm pretty good. Once I figure out the contradiction within them and, and sort of where I want them to end up, I, I can usually do okay in terms of keeping them moving. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've kind of found, because um, I wrote, I've written eight books in the series that I've written. And the first couple books, you're like, oh, wait, did I tell, did I say anything about her parents or whatever? And then like by about the fifth book, you're like, okay, I know, I know these people, like they're my friends, you know, like I have them in my head so solidly. It's not, but you do hate making those mistakes. Like one of they had an allergy in the first book and then you write about having lobster for dinner in the fifth book. And no, 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 you can't do that. You know, so it's good to keep some of that. You'll, they'll tell you about it. They'll, yep. People will tell you. And on a, on a basic level, you do need you do need a bio. You need um, you need to know you know sort of what their parental parental situation was when they were growing up in the back mm. of your head, and you know did they go to did they go to college? Did they not? What did they study? And and um, uh, you know are they married? Married? Not married? You no know, gender? You know all you, you do that basic stuff. But that's sort of the beginning. I yeah. mean that's sort of the just sort of the territory. You know after that you need something to animate them. Yeah. And those basic elements you just mentioned are what brings conflict or, you know, challenge to a lot of people. So you kind of have to have those, you know, the sugar and salt to go into the recipe to have, you know, the cake at the end. So it's all connected. I think, I think you're right. So next question, um, which comes to you first, the plot or the characters? Um, well, I'm going to, uh, say actually the scene usually comes to me first. <laughs> You're cheating. <laughs> which, yeah, which is interesting. I usually, when I first get an idea for a novel, um, it's a scene or a scenario or a situation. So um, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples. Um, uh, I, had a, um, I had a short story in the Malice Domestic anthology, uh, the historical one, and it was, it was set in Nicaragua. But the way I got the idea for that particular story was I, um, I actually woke up one morning thinking about what it would be like if um, a soldier came over a ridge 
and there was a village below and, and in time that village was going to be destroyed, right? So not a great, doesn't sound like a great premise. And, um, and for some reason in the original iteration of that, I had it happening um, in winter with deep snow and all those didn't fit Nicaragua. But the idea of coming over that ridge and what you saw below you, right? Was the, it was the idea and what that then changed about you and who you are and, and those types of things. So that scenario was actually led to that particular short story. Right. And then my first book um, actually came out of, I was sitting in a kitchen and this is a, another good example. Um, I was sitting in a kitchen. Uh, I was, I, I was working for a short time. I worked for a few years as a, um, I was on the board of a, a small local company and I was sitting with the, um, uh, the person who ran it and uh, who's an old friend of mine, by the way, we went to high school together and college together and played lacrosse for years together and, you know, those kinds of things. And um, we were talking and we'd hired a, um, an investment banker to actually raise money for us. And he was having absolutely no success. And, he, and my friend and I were sitting around and there may have been a few beers involved in this. And we were having a discussion about why wasn't this investment banker raising money? What was the problem? And I made a joke during the course of that. And I said, well, maybe one of our, basically what the joke was, maybe one of our competitors is paying off the investment banker not to find any investors, <laughs> right? And um, so I thought, okay, so we both laughed and we had another beer and I was walking home because he literally lives about 300 yards from me. And I was walking home and I thought, you know, that's actually an interesting premise, right? And that became, uh, that became one of the key parts of the first novel. Right. So it turned out the investment banker, uh, one of the things that Vic Lenoski discovers is that the investment banker who's been, who's supposedly the hotshot star of all these high tech startups mm -hmm. is actually um, corrupt. And that's when he starts to understand that there's more going on. There must be other people involved. And it gives him a trail to follow mm -hmm. because he would have money. If, he, if somebody's paying him off, there'd be money. There'd be mm -hmm. money changing hands. And that gives him a trail that starts to, and that's sort of the string he pulls to unravel the whole mystery. Mm -hmm. so, so I tend to, that's usually where I actually, where I start. Um, uh, I don't usually hear a character or, um, and I don't usually think through the plot. I'm, it's usually a scene or a, um, a scenario like that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's there. That was a good scene. And I remember that book very well. And I remember the short story because I got to be your editor for that one too. <laughs> totally independent of everything else. So right. <laughs> I've, I've edited a lot of your things. <laughs> yes, you have, actually. So that was four questions. And now we're going to come to a fifth sort of random question just because, just because we can. So um, the fifth question is, which three songs would be on your life's playlist? Uh, okay, so I do listen to music a lot. Having grown up in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, 70s, mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of good music in those days. Um, interestingly, I think probably the one that I couldn't do without is Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan, mm -hmm. which is um, just a, uh, that entire album, Blood on the Tracks. Mm -hmm. um, it came out when I was in college and uh, I, for whatever reason, I can still listen to that album. It still sounds new every time I listen to it. I've n it's never got old. Mm -hmm. And the writing in that song the, is just phenomenal, right? So I've always been a big fan. Um, I'm also a fan of Chris Perica. And in my latest book, I actually, she was kind enough to give us, an, uh, to give us permission to use a quote from one of her songs, Burning Bridges, mm -hmm. which is a song I still like. I mean, and it was odd because after I finished the third book, I was listening to the song and I suddenly realized 
I think that's the plot to the book. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, let me, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll just read it to you quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is, and, and she was very nice to, it took a few months to track down the uh, permission, but the, the, the quote was, uh, this is a story of burning bridges and allowing time to pass. This is a story of forgiveness and breaking things in my hands. This is a story of understanding you can't choose who you love. And this is a story of soft skin and rats in the walls. Mm. And which sort of summarized the book perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to wonder how your mind is working at that point that it can, it can go in those two directions. But mm. anyway, so I think that would probably be the second. And then the third, there's, there's any number of them, but um, probably a Grateful Dead song, maybe Brown Eyed Woman, something like that. So mm. which is another, uh, which is really a, a story about um, uh, somebody going through the Great Depression, a bootlegger going through the Great Depression is really what it is. Mm -hmm. So um, I, th I think I'm probably attracted to, um, I've always been attracted more to the folk songs, a lot more writing involved. And um, uh, so I, I think that would be, those would probably be the three I'd pick up off, I'd pick yeah. off the top. I always think, I always think Tangled Up in Blue, just I feel like it's a poem. Yeah, it <laughs> you know, is. it's just, it's yeah. like an epic poem sort of thing. Like, cause it tells us a tale of like a whole life almost, you know. Right. Um, yeah, Great. early one morning the sun was shining uh, yeah it's just, you can totally that. you can picture every single thing he's saying yeah and i'm not a huge dylan fan but that's one of my favorite songs too i just you know <laughs> but I, I also enjoy bruce springsteen for the same reasons because his stories yeah. are very you know they're they're just like short stories or fiction or poems or whatever so yeah especially good. Springsteen's early stuff oh, yeah. yeah yeah well i totally approve of your playlist that's yeah. very good stuff. You're good. Okay, this is going to be five quick questions, one or two word answers. No, don't think about it. Okay. okay. One, beach or mountain? Uh, mountains. Cake or pie? Uh, probably cake. Yeah, are you a morning person or night owl? Night owl. Totally. Dogs or cats? Uh, probably cats. Okay. My wife's not going to be happy about that. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Um, well, being born in England, I have to have a cup of tea to start the morning, but I, after that, it's all coffee. <laughs> okay. Well, see, now I feel like we know everything about you. That's, yeah. This was a great exercise. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm so happy to have had you as the first guest on this podcast. It's so cool. What is going on with you right now? And what can we look forward to? Um, what, what can we look forward to coming from you next? What news do you have to share before we say our final goodbye? Um, well, what I've been working on is, a, as I mentioned at the beginning, a private eye novel, and uh, the draft of that is finished, and um, the first draft, and I'm doing the rewrite right now. Uh, so probably a few weeks, I'll have a workable manuscript. So that'll be, uh, for next year, that'll be, a, it'll be a private eye novel. And then I've got three more Vic Lenoski novels after that. So that'll be the uh, emphasis going forward from there. And then starting in January, I have a virtual book tour starting. So um, I'll be popping up on blogs and uh, around the web in various places and disguises. So <laughs> the, that, and that should take the first, that should be January and February. So awesome. that's sort of the next, the next step from that point of view. Great. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, really enjoy every interaction we've ever had. I like having drinks with you at Malice and I like talking to you here and I can't wait till we can talk to each other again in person. Yeah. Um, and hang out. But in the meantime, I get to read all of your wonderful words and we really are just, we just love uh, working with you so much. So good. thanks for everything. And thanks Thank for being you. on the show sure. and have a good rest of the day. You too. Okay. <laughs>